Charles Louis Mortgage Advisors, 0161 959 0166. Well, hello and welcome to a festive edition, um, perhaps a slightly shorter edition than normal of the Blue Forever Blue podcast, uh, which is brought to us by charleslouis.co.uk, uh, which are chartered mortgage advisors who advise on mortgages, of course. Um, and you heard the phone, phone number there in the introduction. Uh, you can also contact them uh, and ask them questions about buying or selling a property, whether that's a commercial property or a private uh, property. Uh, if you live in the Berry area, you might want to look at their website in terms of buying a property as well. You don't have to live in the Berry area. That's where they're based. So big thanks to very much to Dave and his team for their support of the podcast. Uh, my guest on the, uh, the guests on the podcast tonight are um, a, a man who played for Manchester City and scored an awful lot of goals. Uh, I'm not talking about Sergio Aguero, but I'll tell you what, his scoring rate wasn't much different. Um, he is Paul Molden, who uh, set records, was in the Guinness Book of Records at Bolton Lads Club, and, and I think he's one of the most naturally gifted strikers I've seen in a blue shirt right up to the present day. So, Paul, thank you very much for, for joining us and, uh, and thanks for your um, you know, involvement in tonight's podcast. Pleasure, no worries. Thank you for inviting me, yeah. We've also got Tony, who's a regular, and we've got Mark, who's becoming a regular and has become a regular, and pleased to have him. Um, I, I've got to start, actually, <laughs> which, which is only because I'm looking at Mark's face, because we record this on on uh, on Zoom, and, and <laughs> I wouldn't normally have asked him this question, but I got to the ground today, Mark, right? got to tell you this one. Well, actually, this morning when I woke up, I said to my wife, uh, all set for the game, because she goes a bit after me with my son, and I uh, said, so better just check my digital ticket that oh, it's yeah. actually got the, uh, the the right game on, you know, and it's updated. Right. And my digital ticket had disappeared completely from my wallet. Welcome so to uh, thankfully, I get down to the ground about three or four hours before, so it's not too bad. So I went to the ticket office. I was there for about half an hour, 45 minutes. They couldn't figure out how to get it back on and eventually printed off a paper ticket. Am I the only one that's gone through this? Because you're the expert on this sort of thing. Yeah, well, as you know, I'm on the City Matters Committee, so I, um, I'm, a, I'm like open for fans to get in touch with me when things go wrong and I try and feed all the stuff to the club. It's only my opinion, and I might be right, but it's been a bit of a disaster mobile ticketing, and it goes wrong, not everything. You know, like if 3% of the tickets go a bit wrong, that's hundreds of people, you've got to remember so hundreds of people have issues on a match day and they're trying to iron it out, but it's it's difficult. So every time I get someone saying my ticket's not working or such and such, I feed it to the club and I've got a meeting with them in January in which I'm going to say to them, how do you think it's going? Yeah. Uh, you know, is there anything we can do to improve it? So as ever, I'm trying to be positive. I don't like to be negative. They're doing the best, but the tech's not the best in my opinion. It's only my opinion. I might be wrong. I'm not a technical wizard. But it's not working for everybody. And it, it, do you know what it is? It's more the stress of it. Like you this morning, all my ticket's not working. Um, so, yeah. Thank you for that feedback, Ian. I will report it to the club. What I will say on a positive note is the, the young lady who dealt with my query was extremely patient, extremely courteous and extremely yeah. nice. But yeah. I wouldn't have liked to have got there at half past two yeah. with the same problem. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just glad story, it was a lot earlier than that. Your story's typical, basically. Your story, the tech doesn't work brilliant. The staff at City, they all want to do a great job. They try really hard. They do the best. So your story's a typical story that I get. 
So let's move on from that now and talk about uh, the, the wonderful first 20 minutes today. We can talk about the whole game, but I've got to say the first 20 minutes, I don't know if you got a chance to see it, Paul. Were you at the game? Did you did you watch it no, on TV? I, no, I didn't, I didn't watch anything. I've, I've had a bit of a problem with my, my dog broke its back. So oh. um, we've, uh, we've had since July the 27th with it. Uh, and we're doing rehab, doing loads of rehab with it. And today was, because um, I was up late, yeah, because last night, um, we, I was out with the dog. I listened to the score and I listened to the game on the um, on the radio on the way back with the dog. But uh, no, I didn't see it. But I, I saw the result. I saw it on the news. Um, and, and fantastic, weren't they? Again, fantastic again. Well, you've seen enough. Cause you're, I saw you at the Etihad a couple of weeks ago, and yeah. you've seen enough of what they do. I mean, I described the first twenty <laughs> minutes as mesmerising when they do this one-touch passing where that each player seems to know instinctively where the next pass is going, as if it's like four moves ahead. It's just bewildering to me. I've never seen anything, watched, honestly, I watched, as good I as this. The, I watched the Wolves game on the Saturday, and they came to the game on the Tuesday um, against Leeds. So, um, I, you know, you, you watch it on the telly, <clears throat> you listen to people talk, how can we stop Man City? So I thought you've got two games now to go and have a look at what you know, what it's about. You're actually live at the game. You're watching it, and it it, it doesn't resemble football. If you understand what I mean, it's like it's 10, 15 years above. Like you know, when people saw George Best and people saw um, Pele, they were like they were 10 years ahead of what the what they were watching. And I watched City against Wolves, and I thought, you know, as a football man, how do you stop that? How do you stop um, the football they play? Because nobody's seen that kind of football. You know, like like you just said, Ian. It's, it's all short, short, short passing. You've got a player who's ten yards in front of you, and you got you think, oh, he'll find that he'll find his because everything's to feet, isn't it? He'll find his feet, and they turn away, and you think, oh, you've missed it. But the next pass they make is an even better pass, and it's like, you know, it's the two games I saw. Yeah, I saw them. I saw, you know, the games last season. Go twenty games. I think the season before I went to a couple, um, but this this season now. You're looking at you thinking it's just it's, it's just 10 15 you're above uh, in front of whatever else is playing on it because you you know you I know the Wolves game they were lucky the city got lucky with a penalty um I thought Wolves played really well not played well let, let me ask you Tony because we've not heard from you Tony yet I mean the football we're watching at the moment is is, is on a different level as Paul has been saying I mean it's I, I, I just can't believe that the quote. I mean, when I was a kid at school, I mean, <laughs> yeah, I didn't play professional football, but the teachers used to say uh, only one touch, one touch passing, two touch passing. And it seemed impossible. This team make that look so easily, don't they, Tony? Yeah, um, I think we've said it many times in terms of what Pep's done to the team and how we play. Uh, if it were second to none on our day, I think we can turn any team over, really. Uh, De Bruyne for his first goal was a prime example of that back to goal. Turned, looks like he was going nowhere and managed to turn, shoot and uh, get it in the back of the net. Fantastic goal. And uh, I think for the first 20 minutes, as you say, we were fantastic. It's my pessimism, as you know, um, always rings through on the podcast. And I think it comes in those 10 minutes where we concede those three. And this is always kind of where Pep's always drilling in and you hear him, you can win 7-0 and he goes, well, actually, we didn't play well in this period. And I think that's always his perfectionism and where I worry in terms of, yes, we can play the best football in the world that I've ever seen. However, 
I'm never 100% confident because I always feel like we can always concede at any point. Um, and that's with Edison and Diaz over there and holding the fort. Uh, but I think in terms of how we're playing overall, we're fantastic, really. Is that what went wrong then when they suddenly got three goals back in the second half? Was that, you know, given that your glasses half full at best. Um, is that is that what was going wrong then? Um, I think for the second goal, it was an exceptional pass that just broke our defence, really. Um, it was a great run kind of in between the two defenders and the pass was really good. Um, but I also think that sometimes because of how we do play, we do press, we leave ourselves open to that. We saw it against Leipzig, um, whereas because we always are on that front foot, we do have that ability to concede on the counter. But I think, you know, it's kind of, do we want to play that kind of football or do you want to go back to your, you know, one nails and close the foot? I'd stick with, you know, 6-3 any day of the week, to be honest. What I should point out, by the way, to anybody who's randomly come along on this uh, podcast listening to it, is we're speaking after the 6-3 victory against Leicester. Now, Mark, you've been watching City as long as me. Have you ever seen anything like this? I haven't seen any team quite like this. No man, City. Obviously, City have never been quite this team. But uh, I almost think they create new positions for themselves. You know, like, you know, you know, everybody knows about right backs and overlapping, overlapping right backs and wingers. We create inside left, inside of the inside left and spaces. Yeah. They, they like run into spaces that other players don't run into. And that and they do the overload thing, don't they? Where suddenly the two defensive players they've got on one side have got three players on them. And that should, in theory, mean the space that we've left in behind. But that's what we do. We play like on the edge all the time. And that's why watching City... Even if you don't want City to win, if you if you support Leicester today, or you want City to lose or draw, we play on the edge, and that's why it went a bit wrong today. Fifteen minutes today, it went wrong, and it's because we play on the edge. You know, look how look how far up we play our back line when someone's got a free kick, uh, an attacking free kick. We play so high, everybody else would go, "You can't do that. You can't play like so dangerous." But Pep's got a way of playing where you you reap the rewards of your bravery. And actually, that's what happened. And it went a bit wrong today. Now, the reason it went a bit wrong today was Leicester are good. <laughs> Leicester are actually very good at playing on the break. Their defence is letting them down at the moment. That's why they drew three all at Liverpool in the week. They played great at Liverpool and drew three all. Today, they played great in patches and let six goals in. They didn't look like a team capable of letting six goals in today. But we play on the edge, and I actually think that's that's we 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 benefit in matches because we do that. But you have to take the hit now and again. It'll some. It's exactly what Tony says. He is right, but I think it's worth it. So Tony's right that that you're taking a risk, but you take a risk to win a lot of games. You don't you don't get a hundred points without in a season as we did a few years back without taking a risk. That's not. That's not Arsenal 1-0, is it? That's taking a risk. So I actually think it's a great thing about our team. It's why we're going to do well in the league this season and might have a chance of winning it. And it's why everybody wants to watch this football team. The thing that I notice uh, over and over again, and I keep meaning to say on the podcast, but I haven't really talked about it, is the fact that once they're in the mood and they're on the front foot city, the opposition... Uh, are like it's like a tidal wave coming yeah. over them that as soon as they lose possession it isn't the case of 
collecting the ball, looking around for somebody to play. The first player that gets the ball is immediately looking for a killer pass. The second player is immediately looking for a cross. Yeah. It is like completely intense to a point I've never seen football played like. I mean, I, I used to enjoy watching Barcelona, the great Barcelona team, ironically that Pep was in charge of uh, for some of the time. I mean, Frank Rijkaard and others were there as well. And they controlled the game and they played wonderful football, but they didn't seem to play it in in this sort of, when I say aggressive, I think you know what I mean by that. It's, intense, it's, you're right. Intense it's, it's an intense, word. intense yeah. aggression. Um, I'm not, I'm not seeing anything like that. But what I want to ask Paul, I mean, as a striker, you know, there's been the the debate for such a long time today. Even today, somebody said to me in the match day vlog afterwards, you know, if we'd have had a striker today, if we'd have had Harland and everything, you know, even though they've got six goals today, seven against Leeds, four at Newcastle, and I'm thinking, what? Why does City even need a striker now? Nobody epitomised being a striker more than you, Paul. You were the most, as I say, and I don't say that lightly, one of the most naturally gifted strikers I've ever seen. Uh, you could score goals for fun. Does City need a striker? Come on, Paul. Come on, they do. <laughs> Come on, Paul. Um, tell us what you, you want. need a striker. Um, <laughs> I don't you, Mark, you talked about it. You know, you, you said about players playing. Man City make positions that nobody... Has ever never, nobody's ever seen players get into positions that nobody's ever seen, and there's no recognised name for these positions. Um, you know, Mike Tony, you talked about you know um, you know going you know going forward. City play on the front foot, don't they? And the thing that struck me like a um, like slapped me like a wet kipper uh, against the Wolves game was when when they lost the ball, how quick they 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 get after it, but not as a one, not as a two. As a team, as a, as a, as an eight as, as eight players as nine players, um, just sit it. It's a totally different football, isn't it? A totally different football. I'm a striker. Of course, I need a striker. Um, of course, they do. They always need a striker. But you, realistically, you look at it, you think, you know, like he just said, this they're scoring five, six, seven goals or whatever, and without a striker, you know, do they need a striker? Because I watched a program a few months, a few years back, a good few years back, and they said was talking to um, a fair member program, was talking to a foreign coach. They're saying football is now because of the fitness levels, because of how good players are now. Football is like a basketball game. <clears throat> and I know there's positions in basketball, don't get me wrong. But it's up and down, up and down. It's out to one position. Somebody's going to step into it, aren't they? And I, I just think you look at City, look at this league as individuals, as players and individuals in the team. Yeah. If Dave White had ended up as centre forward and I'd have gone and played outside right, I'd have looked like a, you know, a fish out of water. But... Now everybody, everybody's like fluent, aren't they? City, everybody's fluent. So, do they need a striker? It'd be lovely to see the lad from uh, Germany come across Alan Munset and see how many goals he could score. But do they need a striker? I don't know. I'm not sure they do, you know? Maybe I strikers think... are, are out of date. What do you think, Mark? Strikers are out of date. Yesterday. Yeah, I, I think, uh, remember, we've just won three games in a row with a lot of goals. But there was a couple of tight games there, like Villa 8-2-1. We dominated Villa and could have had a bag full. Uh, even uh, Watford, it looked comfortable at the end, 3-1. But flipping it, that should have been over in the first... A bit like today, you know, it should have been four goals. in. Uh, and I actually think if we can get a striker who's a natural goal scorer, Paul, uh, if you get your boots, um, I think if we... Can, yeah, 
But seriously, if we could get a natural goal scorer who can work like the lads work up front, that front three and front four, if they'll work like that and interchange positions, but have a natural goal scorer, that won't do us any harm. And it might make the difference in a tight game. Today, you know, six goals and then seven goals and four. All right, fair, fair enough. But well, there well, are games we win that, two one that, and one nil. That's let's be fair. That's what we're looking at, isn't it? You know, City they're thereabouts. You know, in the league at the end of the season for the champions and winning it. And it's just that next step, isn't it? And yeah. you know, like you say, Mike, yeah. who's to argue whether a striker would make the difference? Um, you know, a, a, a top quality striker would make the difference. I've got to ask you while we've got you, Paul, um, about your lad as well, Louis. Um, I, I, has he ended up being a goalkeeper because because you were firing shots at him when he was a kid? <laughs> Good one. <laughs> he, he, I used to stick him in a goal and say, save these, lad. No, no, there's a, there's a story about Louis, yeah. Um, so I've got three kids. I've got three kids and three lads all played football to a, a decent standard. Believe it or not, two of us are packing with injury, yeah? So that's... that's um, you know, chip off the old block, innit? But, um, so I've got Joel America, um, Joel America, Ted, who was at Bolton Wanderers, um, they've all had to pack him. So Louis, when, so the story goes with Louis, when he was a kid, um, I ran teams for, for all three, um, three kids. So Louis plays, plays up front, he's only under, under eight, um, scoring goals like his old fella, but he's got this one trait, he's slow, yeah? He's just, he's just not as quick as the rest of the kids, yeah? But he can score goals for fun. But he comes home with a pair of goals one day and went, I want to go in goals, Dad. And I said, you don't really want to do that, Luke, because when it gets winter and all that, you'll be fun there. That's for, that's for other people, yeah? So I ran three teams. So um, it, it, was, it was like military, military precision. We used to um, train, <clears throat> we used to train uh, on a Monday night. So I said, we'll get this out of Louis. I said, so I said to Louis, bring your gloves to training. So he thought, thinks he's training, going in goals in training. And uh, he didn't, he played out. And I said, do you want to go in goals after? He said, yeah. So imagine the scene, September, you know, September, it's going dark about half eight, quarter to nine. Everybody's packed up, everybody's going apart from me, my dad and Louis, yeah? And uh, I thought, I'll knock this out of him one way or another. So I'm shooting at him, Not he's only eight. I'm knocking shots at him, they're going wide, they're going over, they're hitting him and... Um, He's, he's filthy. He's absolutely filthy. After the session, I said, oh, do you like that? I said, he's looking down to play once. He asked what he wants to do. He's, he's going to do it. So that was it. But um, yeah, all three kids, there's not a goal between, you couldn't buy a goal between them. Yeah. It's, um, no, there's not a goal in them. Like I said, Louis, Louis the other way, he's, uh, he wants to stop them, doesn't he? I'm going to make a suggestion now. I don't know if this will work, but if you turn your video part of your feed off, Paul, um, I wonder if that might thin the stream down because it's obviously an audio podcast and as much as I'd like to see you, if we turn that bit of the stream off, um, maybe, maybe it won't break up when we hear you. Let me ask you this question, Paul. I mean, obviously, I, I've said before in this podcast that, you know, you're a very natural striker. When you look at Sergio Aguero, do you, <laughs> I know you, you false, your modesty will, will prevent you from sort of you know, saying this too much because I can see the similarity. Two small strikers who've got this natural ability. Did you see any similarities in Sergio to when you were playing in your day? He loved scoring goals, didn't he? Yeah, he did love scoring he goals. Scoring absolutely. Goals that's yeah. That's that's you know that you know similarities, um, similar statue, similar you know. But 
the main thing for me was he just loved scoring goals and you know that's what a goal scorer does they love scoring goals don't they and you know when you not the big goals the QPR goals and things like that but the, you know the little goals when when they scored three or four and he he get a fifth or a fourth and he just loved scoring goals didn't he and that's um, you know, I, I can't compare myself to uh, to that fella. No, no chance, yeah. How <laughs> natural was your goal scoring? For, for those who don't don't remember, I mean, obviously, I know that Mark and I watched you regularly. I, I, Tony's a bit younger, so he might not have He's seen as much of you. But but you know, you broke records for fun, didn't you? And yeah, uh, yeah, you know, yeah. you were you outstanding of your generation. Yeah, it. Um, yeah, we, we, we talked. A friend gave in contact with the other the, the other. Um, or beginning this month, really. And uh, he was talking about the Bolton because we were both playing the Bolton Lads Club team. And, um, and but like every time you stepped up, you carried on scoring, didn't you? And it was like quite an interesting, quite an interesting thing to do. So I played for, played for Bolton Lads Club. Then I went and played for England schoolboys, uh, scored goals. And then I went and played for the England youth team. 12 months young. So I was like playing with Tony Adams, uh, Tim Flowers, and all them people, Johnny Beresford, scored goals, went to the first team and scored goals. But the thing that ran parallel with that, as you as you know more than anybody, was the was the was the injuries, wasn't it? You know, the injuries were that was the problem, wasn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I mean, you and I go back a long way. I mean, when I started my broadcasting career um, as an amateur on hospital radio, you were prepared to give up your time. I can't imagine Sergio Aguero doing that, coming yeah. down to hospital radio and sitting there. Yeah. Um, different times, weren't they? Different times, and you know, you know, back in the you, you think of the crowds that. You know, used to watch to watch us play like I'd say like you know, probably 96 percent male, weren't they? And now it's like you know, it's it's like a mixed crowd, um, mixed you know, mixed people are watching football now, aren't they? And I would imagine the the, the call on the footballers now is, is is horrendous, you know, to do this, that, and the other, you know. And what when you finished your career, how what easy was it you to you to adjust? Because you you ended your career earlier than you might have wanted to. Was it difficult for you then to go back to normal life, as it were? Well, I finished at twenty nine, and people, you know, like I played with like Cody and Scott at Man City. You probably remember Scotty. Um, I played with a lot of, lot of different lads, and I thought twenty nine was you know a bit average, if not a bit longer, not yeah. a lot longer, because everybody gets confused with like your gigs and your schoolses and your uh, your Neville's who played, to, you know, well into the 30s. Um, football, you know, was, was I think, dare I say, a bit more physical when I played. But I think getting to 29, you know, I, I was happy with that. I was more than happy with that. Struggled like mad when I packed in. Struggled like mad. And I'll be the first to admit it. Um, I don't think there's enough help for um, just packing in. You know, it's like, you, you know, you just, nobody wants to play, pay you for what, doing what you've done since you were 17. Um you know, uh, well, not 17, nine year old, really, but you, you know, you've been paid since you were 17 for doing that. And you sure like mad. It's, it's a massive thing that, you know, that people try and hide. But when you get to your 40s and you, 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 you reminisce with people, everybody's, just, everybody's the same. Everybody struggles, don't they? You know, really struggles. It's, it's, not, it's not a nice place to be for two or three years. Given that one of the stories around City at the moment has been Jack Grealish and Phil Foden going out and although the manager's never specifically said he's been punishing them by putting him on the bench at Newcastle and on the bench today. And Kyle Walker, obviously, is another talking point. Yeah. I don't know if he's sending off at, 
Leipzig or whether there's been something else that's happened behind the scenes. But given that you were a footballer that went through that of having to adjust, I know it's a slightly different type of problem. They're in a lot more of a microscope now. It, it, it always astounds me that footballers can cope so well. Presumably, you would say, as, a, as an ex-footballer, they're all human beings and they all make mistakes, don't they? Of course, of course, of course, of course people, players do, people do, don't they? But I think, um, you know, I can only take, you know, we talked about Louis before, you know, you, you've got to be so careful, um, you know, you've got to be so, you know, the, the, the culture is different when we, I remember, I remember playing for City at Leeds, um, so I, I'd have the season, my first season, not a full season, but I'd have my first spell in, this, in the first team, I'd have a season out injured, and it's like the second the promotion season that I played. We went to Leeds, and on the on the um, on the bench on the massage table after the game was a crate of lager, a crate of beer, and a crate of lemonade. You know what I mean? And that was that was the culture. Like you know, have a drink after you played. But I think nowadays, I think you know, you look how fit these boys are, and you know, is there any room for beer? Is there any room for you know shenanigans? I don't know. It's um, because. Whatever you do, you've got to go back and train the day after, aren't you? Or the day after that. And you know, I think um, I just think you know, I, you know, I can only tell you what I tell my lads, or what I've told my lads, or certainly tell Louis that you know, at the end of the day, you you know, you've got to look after your body because you want to play at the top, don't you? You know, and I just think you know, yeah, people make mistakes, people like to drink, people like to go out and socialise, but you know, it's um, I wonder how they feel. It. I know it wouldn't happen, but I wonder how they feel if they were shown the door, you know, over a, over a glass of beer, you know, it'd be. I'd be, I'd be devastating, wouldn't it? You know. Absolutely. I mean, Andy Morrison came on the podcast and told the story about how he came back from a, a you know a, a couple of games away. I think he was suspended or whatever, and uh, and he'd been drinking. And Joel Royal, who's the manager at the time, uh, gave him a second chance, which he'd never really been given before. He'd always been punished by previous yeah. managers. And I don't know if you saw that type of thing firsthand, but there isn't enough room for that anymore, is there? And I'm not I'm not blaming Pep, but that's the modern game, isn't it? That you you've got take, to get take, it right all the time, 24-7. Take, take any take any any names out of the situation and any clubs and any managers, um, especially in the Premier League, people haven't got clubs haven't got managers that haven't got time for people that don't want to pull in the same direction as everybody else because that might cost you a point, that might cost you three points. At the end of the day, that might cost the manager's job, or even worse, the club that's placed in the Premier League. So it's 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 a, it's a it's a very fine line, isn't it? You know. Yeah, I mean, Mark, you saw Paul playing. Let, let's just, uh, I'd just like you to back me up, really. I mean, he, he was such a naturally gifted goal scorer, wasn't he? I think at the time when, as a City fan, everybody was so excited when Paul got into the first team because we knew how good he was coming up through the ranks. So when you arrived on the scene, Paul, and was banging him in for the first team, we absolutely loved it. And then it's like any club of City, no different. There's nothing better than what you consider one of your own to do well. So, yeah, uh, yeah every every liked the fact you were so good, but everyone liked the fact you were one of our own. So it was uh, it was a double whammy for us. But, I mean, you know, Paul, the City fans love you, still do and, today. And, and a, it was a double whammy, a triple whammy, because I loved doing it. It was like, yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. I, I, listened to Joe, um, I listened to Jimmy Frizzell. Yeah, just coming on from, uh, from when they played Oldham, the promotion season, they had yeah. a shocking start. And um, I'll never forget, I was listening to Jimmy Jimmy Frizzell, um, I don't know, on the radio or whatever it was, and he said, I can't believe that they've come 
uh, Oldham Athletic have come and beat us in our own backyard. And you know what? That's without really being spelt out to me. That's where I thought Main Road was. I thought Main Road was my backyard. Yeah. And then I, I, I drove home, and and that interview, um, not for the reasons he was he was he gave, but for the reasons that that affected me and my thoughts. I thought, how can a bunch of I think he called them yard dogs. I could have a bunch of yard dogs come beating you in your backyard. And, yeah. and that's why I thought of Main Road. I thought Main Road was my backyard. And every time I went on, onto Main Road and away from home, but certainly on Main Road, I, I expected to score. It was a reserve game, a youth team game, a first team game. He expected to A, play well and B, you know, put, you know, put the ball in the back of the net because that's where you're growing up. That's where you aspired to be. You know what I mean? From yeah. Going to the ground at 14, 15. With Quimper or Tony Book and Ken Barnes, that's where you wanted to be, and and that interview affected me a lot. And I thought, you know what, um, that's this is I'm going to get. You know, I wasn't out the team; I was just never picked, so I wasn't dropped or whatever. I was no. just never put in the, in that first four or five games. And I got my chance, and I thought, this is your backyard. Go and, go and yeah. see, you know, go and see what you can do. And it was yeah. a. Well, we've got a player like you, Paul, playing for us. It's like you're doing it for us. We even have it with Foden now. It doesn't change. It doesn't. Yeah. Leeds will have it with Calvin Phillips, won't they? You know, that's right, every club so. has its yeah. players like that. Yeah. You're that's doing right. it for us. When you put the yeah. when when um, when um, you you know when Foden scored his first goal away, I think it was at Oxford. Did we play Oxford? He scored his first goal. He yeah. came towards the City fans. It, it might as well have been me. Me as a 50 year old. Oh yeah, that's right. The pitch. It was brilliant. Yeah, no, and that's and that's what you know. People think about when kids got joined Man City. That's certainly what. I and a lot, a lot of the youth, well, all the youth team, that they, they just wanted to play on Main Road and play in front of the fans and be well from because you know that that was that was your backyard. Yeah, this is good to listen to, Tony. This isn't it? <laughs> I mean, you, you, you're obviously. Um, did you see Paul play? Did you see that? So that era really is just something you've seen on YouTube or whatever. But it, it's still. I'm going, I'm going when to say people say we've got no again. history. This is this is important as winning trophies, surely, isn't it? Yeah, I think uh, I was four when you left City. So, yeah. It was, uh... oh, <laughs> Part-timer. You weren't there when you were four. I'll let you off. <laughs> A little bit more by Tony, time. Tony, Tony, there's so many things that, you know, we went, we went um, you know, we went in as 15, six, well, six, we started at City at 16. And um, we were, for the first two weeks, we grouted um, cows in the bathrooms. Did you? We yeah, well, for the first two weeks when we went to Man City, um, we didn't see we didn't see a football, we didn't see training kit. We had last the year before's training kit on. Uh, all we saw was um, grout paint, <laughs> That's uh, grout brilliant. paint, and, and, and yeah. So you had Dave White because he was the tallest. So the, the dressing rooms were, well, I don't know, fifteen foot high. The, the 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 thing. So we had milk crates on on top of each other. Whitey on the top, grouty in the top tiles, yeah? Um, Tony Boot used to come in and go like, yeah, doing a good job, lads, crack on. Uh, no, no, we, we had a, he showed us what he wanted to do, but we were grouting tiles, painting, uh, generally cleaning the ground up from the summer break. Um, and then, then the first team had started to come in. And then it was like, it wasn't long before one or two started, but when we started training, we didn't train with them, but we used to watch them and collect the balls, and, as, as every apprentice does, or did. And we used to like we used to get back in the restaurant and we're like, he's crap. I'm, I can do that, you know. <laughs> and really, like, you know, were we were we stepping, you know, stepping over the mark, or were we confident? I'm not quite sure. But like I say, certainly within two, three years, we were we got the chance and 
Morsels proved that we we were as good, and if not, look a bit better than um, you know some of the lads that were there when we started. And and it was just like it was just like a natural progression. It was really weird, really. You know, you look at lads now who, who make it or don't make it as footballers, and our progression was just one day you were grouting the towels in the first team dressing room, and the next time you, you sat there in the first team in the dressing room. You know, I've either played or sub or whatever, and um, it was it was. It was phenomenal, proper, proper good. Well, it's, it's fantastic that you've shared those stories with us. I must come and sit down with you at some stage and uh, film you properly um, and get, get get that on the on the channel as well. But great to hear those stories. Um, I'm not going to make this this podcast quite as long as normal, so I'm going to throw it forward now. But the, the danger of throwing forward is that things are changing rapidly at the moment. The next game is Brentford away and then it's Arsenal on New Year's Day um, as we sit here now recording this on, on the Sunday evening after the Leicester game there's no guarantee that either of those games will either take place or have fans allowed in them um, I, I just wonder Mark as a you know a solid citizen I think that's the right way to describe you because that's the, uh, the Facebook page if you want to find Mark and, and a lot of the things that he does um, how, how does that make you feel where we are at the moment it's a, it's been a strange time for two years watching football, hasn't it? And uh, obviously, I don't half miss it when we can't actually go to the games. I've got a horrible feeling things are going to change in the next couple of days. I think the government have been holding on to get us through the Christmas period, allow us to go and see our families. And I think we're going to get hit hard as a kind of uh, response to that. So it wouldn't surprise me if there's no fans at one of the next two games. Um, I'm just so glad we've kept the players playing just for our... What because we want to win the league, we want to get ahead of Liverpool and Chelsea, and we've got a nice little gap, even though Liverpool got a game in hand. Let them keep calling games off and whinging. We like a bit of cloppy whinging, keep whinging, Mr. Klopp, um, because it's obviously getting to him. Um, and if we can keep playing, and obviously, I'd like the fans to be there, but if we can just play these next two games in front of fans or not in front of fans, win those two, let's see what they've got. Because at the moment, it's the best we've played for a long time. They're playing such good stuff. Little 12, 15 minutes today that went a bit wrong. They could have taken a yellow card, I felt, today. You know, just just when Leicester were attacking, just put a challenge in. And if you miss time, you miss time it. But anyway, we'll let that go. We still scored six goals and won a match. Um, I just think if we can get these two games played, Arsenal away will be a very tough game because they're playing well. Uh, but we're, you know, if they want to come play, that's the point. Arsenal playing well, but if they want to come play, that's fine. Leicester today, they changed to a back five and with one up front and look much better. But I think Arsenal will play us. I think they'll play an expansive game when we play, if we get to play them on the first. Uh, and our rate, our fancy our chances under those circumstances. Is the momentum of City playing games and winning when others are having stops and starts and the depth of City squad being able to cope with one or two absences, meaning that City are now red-hot favourites. And I'm asking this to the, the pessimist of the group. So so where do you stand on that, Tony? Um, I think if you're asking a bookie, they would say yes. If you're asking me personally, I would say it's still too early. Um, I think the momentum plays a big part in it, especially if we can keep playing. Um, I would be gutted if uh, we're not allowed in the grounds. However, I'd rather us not be there and we keep playing than yeah. it's just stop and have a break for two, three weeks. Because I, I agree, Tony. Totally. I agree. That will impact us. 
um, especially once we found this form. It took us a while to get going this season. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely uh, be concerned if we had any stoppages to the uh, play. Um, I think out of the next two, no disrespect to Brentford, Arsenal definitely going to be uh, the hardest of the two games. Uh, my concern will come down to refereeing decisions and VAR. I think it's been shocking this season. And I think uh, today we got lucky with the first penalty. Um, I think on another day we don't get that. Um, and I think if it was against us, we'd say it was harsh because it is a penalty, don't get me wrong, but we see it in the box every week, every, up and grounds up and down the country. So I think uh, my only concern would be that referees and VAR has an impact more than the uh, football on the pitch. I might as well ask you, Paul, about VAR because you never had to deal with it when you were a player. Um, and whether the decisions were right or not is not the question I'm asking, really. I mean, me in the ground, I'm thinking, you know, down goes a challenge and then you stand there for, you know, what seems like forever until a decision is... You don't even know at first if it's gone to VAR, just assume it has. Then VAR comes up, then the referee goes and looks at a screen it's the emotion that, that 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 bothers me as much as anything else. Are you glad you didn't play in the, the VAR era, Paul, or would you rather have had it? Ian, I can't... Um, first of all, just to answer Mark. Mark, I can't see any team, any team coming going toe-to-toe in Man City. I hope I'm no. wrong, because that would be a great game if Arsenal went toe-to-toe with City. I think you might, Liverpool might, if they've if they got, if they're, uh, if they got all the players and all the players fit. Um, but Oh, that would be a tremendous game, wouldn't it? That'd be like a European Cup semi-final <laughs> or final. Um, because City is... They're just red hot, aren't they? I know I'm digressing, yeah? But no, back to the VAR, shocking. Um, the, well, the One of the first games I saw, um, one of the first live games I saw went to, uh, somebody scored. It was a City game. I think it was a Sheffield game. They scored um, a couple of Christmases ago. They scored, but nobody celebrated and it was like the waiting to see where it was given, given, you know. And and I can understand the, the, the principles behind it. I can understand the princi- principles behind the VAR. But so the principles are that a referee doesn't see something or a referee misses something, yeah. But then when it goes to VAR and it and the referee in the studio still misses it and still doesn't give the right decision, what we we're just spreading we're just spreading. We're just spreading it out, aren't we? So instead of one person getting it wrong, two people getting it wrong. And that's frustrating managers and players. And my take on it is, at the end of the day, um, as a kid, when I used to watch in Bolton, oh, he were offside for that first goal, uh, for, for the winning goal. Um, well, next time we play him, you know, we'll, and it, it takes that, for me, it takes that that hope from a team away, from a team that, Watches the game, and yeah, there's a bad decision given you against Charles, an offside that you think could have been offside, and that's. But that's, I don't know. But for me personally, that's that's been taken away from the game. And you always think it's always the referee's fault. You've always another chance because next time we'll have a better referee. But the VAR, the referees are making are not making the decision, and then it's going to the studio, and they're making not not every time, but certainly this last few, this last four or five weeks, there's been some iffy decisions, and you think what. Well, you know what we're doing all this for, you know, at the end why, of the day. Why, why, football, why football is the greatest game in the world, why it's the greatest game in the world, is it's art, it's not science. So right. when somebody makes a challenge in the box, 
three of us will say it was a penalty. And two, even if you slowed it down, show me 10 times to say it's not. And actually, the Liverpool decision that I keep getting told was a definite penalty, I kept looking and going, well, maybe, maybe not. I wasn't 100% sure, the one they were talking about last week. And it's because it's an art and it's not a science. And it's brilliant for that. Cricket's more of a science. And therefore, the video element of it just doesn't work. Only the ball going over the line which yeah. works brilliantly, I think. Superb. It Superb. works great. But yeah. when it comes to even fouls in the box or even handballs, you know, it can yeah. hit your arm, we all agree. Then you've got to argue about how far away his arm is. You've got to argue about intent, how far okay. away. It's, it, VAR is a pain in the backside that doesn't bring more than it gives. Yeah. And that's so, why it's not worth that. So so we go we go to watching Malab play in America, yeah? Yeah. So if it hits your hand, if it's your, if it's your hand, if, it's your, if it hits your arm, yeah, above the, the seam, so the seam of your shirt at the top, yeah, where your yeah. sleeve comes down. If it hits your arm, your fingertip, or the top of your arm, it's a penalty. Yeah, what, yeah. A, what a great rule! So if it hits your but, arm, but, yeah. but has the ball got to be fully over the fingertip or just touching it? <laughs> it'll still bring that problem in, yeah. won't it? You so, know, so, 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 so Ian, I went watching his first five games. I was across there watching, yeah, and uh, they went into overtime, which is like another, another. Weird thing because what they what FIFA do they, they test these rules like when I went to Norway they tested the balls around the pitch so it was like a massive five side game I was at Oldham fit as a butcher's dog but couldn't believe how quick the game was because the ball was never out of play um, right. so the the, the the minor leagues they they, t- they test the new rules out what's going to be so they're playing in overtime lad flicks the ball to the defender's got the jockey in lad just flicks it up hits his arm and hits his arm he's not crossing it he's just flicks it up on purpose to hit his arm it's a penalty. So, it's a bit like hockey now. You have a real like that in hockey, yeah. don't they? You know, and at the end of the day, you know, I think you've, I think football, you've described it better than I did, Tony. That I think football's, you know, a game, a game that you, 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 you watch, you, you watch things happen in a split second. Referees react in that split second, and and at the end of the day, just leave it at that. And that's you know, as it was, as it shall be. <laughs> you know, I tell you what, yeah. the, the other thing we've learned is how good the liner is. That, judging offside they're hardly think, ever wrong I mean they I do think, get it wrong I mean but it's millimetres they get it wrong by that, uh, that uh, Mares goal uh, away at Newcastle it looks offside to me I was watching it but just millimetres it was on but I don't think it's worth all the paraphernalia VAR for the occasional result like that I honestly don't I'd rather they give it as uh, and you bang on linesmen back in the day were poor weren't they but now they're, they're, they're probably for playing better than the referees, aren't they? You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, for me, this season, it's not necessarily been the linesman, but the referees and the people uh, sat at you know uh, VAR. I think consistency has been poor, um, and I think the standard of refereeing this season has been poor. I mean, we look at the Newcastle game. You know, um, Edison taking a player down. If that was against us, we would say it was a penalty, was a penalty all day. How can the referee miss that? You know, and I think yeah. there's been decisions like that, and then VAR backs up the referee just for not wanting to question the referee. It's a bit like when they um, you ever appeal a red card and the FA go, "No, nope, referee's always right." Forget always about right. It. That, that'll carry on. That's right. Yeah, and it's just I don't know. I think it's just got worse this season when I expected VAR to be getting better as the yeah. seasons have gone on, especially when they go, oh, we're going to introduce these new rules and the referees are going to use the pitch side monitor more and we're going to do this, that and the other better. If anything, we've gone backwards instead of forwards compared to last season. Yeah. They try, well, they try, they're, they're trying to referee the game from the office. 
than they yeah. actually. And sometimes I think referees will give a penalty when they're not sure to let the VAR go and decide. So they're not giving the decision that's overruled. They're thinking, not so sure, give it, and then the game stops. And then they go and decide. So I, I actually think they need to go and reassess VAR, not that they listen to me, but go and reassess VAR and save it for the very rare occasions when something goes badly wrong and it's obvious. That's All that being said, I do think that the link between VAR and the fans needs to be improved. So if yeah, anything right. is being um, decided or being even looked at by VAR and the game's still being on, just flash it up on the screen in the stadium. Yeah. So I know, you know, the likes of uh, Liverpool and United don't have screens, but they'd have to introduce them because you've got to let the fans know what's going on in the ground. If you can't do that, then you're losing the match day fan. And that's the lifeblood of football in this country. It always has been, always will be, I hope, anyway. Um, but it shouldn't be about what's going on um, on TV or um, even sometimes on TV. The commentators don't know if it's going to be, uh, but they just need to keep it. everybody in the ground informed and make those decisions as quickly. Let me ask you one final question to finish the final Forever Blue podcast of 2021. Can I ask a question? Go on, Paul. Tony, what's your what's your best ever Man City kit? You're only four when I left, so what's your best ever kit? <laughs> um, it was a brother one from the 80s, actually. Um, and it had kind of like the triangles on. Well, that's the one I played in. So that's your best ever kit. You're you a young man. Absolute yeah. creep. <laughs> It's awesome. <laughs> Absolutely yeah. massively yeah. impressed by that. Sorry. I'm, I'm massively I'm, impressed with it. What's, what's I'm older. I like the diagonal stripe ones that they wore. Colin Bell wore it. And it's got to have the round yeah. badge in the centre. The yeah. Colin Astrid, Bell wore. I don't mind Astrid, the red and yeah. black or the blue and red, but yeah. both of them are my favourite. Yeah. Yeah. I'm a younger sibling, so my older brother had that kit, obviously, right. Right. before me. Yeah. He on, got Paul, passed down to me. So I wore that kit for about. Four or five oh, years because it was oversized, and then as a group, yeah, yeah it's just my childhood. <clears throat> if you're going to ask me mine, then well, I, am, I, I wrote Colin Bell's book, as you know, and on the front yeah. cover, it was me that picked that picture of Colin yeah. wearing the sky blue plain shirt with the badge, yeah. the circular badge yeah. in the middle. As far yeah. as I'm concerned, that's the best yeah. city shirt, and for me, it's always got to be red and black stripes to be away kit. He gets, so, he gets um, funny. Every every season you look at the not City, every every club and how they wander away from the how City wander away from the black and red. Um and you know the the, the um sky blue shorts. I'm not a fan of that. I'm not a fan of that at all. Peter no, Barnes's Peter Barnes's kit. The Peter Barnes with the with, with, with the diamonds down. Yeah. And uh, I used to love that one. But like I said, the, the, the Colin Bell one, fantastic shit, isn't it? Yeah. Sorry, sorry to interrupt, yeah. It's all right. Don't worry. That was a great question. Um, the, the final question of 2021 is what your wishes are for 2022. Um, so, do we start with? Let's start with you, Mark. What's your, your wish for, for 2022? Well, it should be peace on earth, goodwill to men, but it's winning the league in April. <laughs> I, want, I want to win the league in April so I can have six weeks, my feet up, cigar out. I loved it when we won the league early. I never thought I'd watch my football team win a league early. I never thought I'd watch my team win a league in uh, at one point, but winning a league early, what a laugh that is. Going to away games knowing you've won the league. So that's the dream, win it in April. What's yours, Tony? Um, I'd go on further and include the Champions League in that. Oh. I think, 
over the years, I've had a bit of, uh, like most City fans, I've not really asked. If you ask me at the beginning of every season, I'd always say Premier League, Premier League, Premier League. Yeah. However, now it's becoming that elusive. I want it. Okay. It's not because of a love of the competition. It's just because we've got so close and we've got so close. Now I want it. So, yeah, I'd throw the yeah. Champions League in there. Good one, Tony. What's yours, Paul? What's mine? <clears throat> um, like I say, you, you always wish City, City could win the league. And like you say, I think the European is becoming a bit of a an obsession, certainly with the manager, and rightly so. Um, so, you you know, you, you hope they can um, win, the, win the Premier League early. You know, we've all watched them red... Uh, them red people down there over the years, and like I say, what you know, what a, an achievement it is to win a league early. That's a fantastic achievement, yeah. And to win the European Cup, a bit of European uh, Championship, Champions League, would be fantastic. But I think, um, yeah, I, I just think a, a healthy, a healthy New Year for everybody, isn't it? That's the thing, isn't it? Everybody's a bit fed up. Of, Absolutely, you know, yeah. Well, I you think know. I think the three of you have said. The things that I would say, but my overall one would be that COVID would do one and that we're able to go to football matches confident that they're going to go ahead. Players are at no risk. The fans can go without any risk. And then we get back to what we took for granted for so many years uh, and we go back to normality and, and people are healthy. And I know health and everything is is the thing that it sounds a bit cliched, but we've never been more aware of it than we are at the moment. So that's what I wish for, for 2022. Um, thanks very much to, to, to Mark, who is always a tremendous guest, and Tony, of course, and to Paul Molden, who, uh, just to explain to anybody, we, we've, we had to ask him to turn his picture off so we can't see him because Zoom was playing up. Um, but we need to get you back on again, Paul, very soon with a, a stable connection so that we can uh, <laughs> we can put some of this video up on, on YouTube as well. That's, that's why it's worth listening to the podcast, because you hear things on the podcast sometimes that you don't get to see on the YouTube channel. So thanks, Paul, for your time. I really, really appreciate it. Get a new laptop, get a new whatever it is, broadband get a new or something. One. Get a new one. I haven't got one. This is a bomb one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What's a laptop? <laughs> and what what I'll do also when it when it suits you is I'll I'll come as long as it's all right with you I'll come and meet you somewhere and and I'll film I'll film some interview as well which we can get out maybe get no some of the, well, you, you you've been a great guest Paul thank you very much okay, um, I appreciate it. I enjoyed it myself yeah been good thank and thanks for everybody who's uh, who's who's listened throughout the the year the calendar year we'll be back again with another podcast. The, the day after the Arsenal game, uh, whether it's played or not, whether we're there or not, we will have a podcast uh, recording on Sunday evening. Um, so thanks very much to charleslouis.co.uk, uh, the, the sponsors of the podcast. Thanks to you if you're a subscriber, if you're an occasional listener or a regular listener, or you're just a City fan who's found us, or even a football fan from somewhere else. It's great that you listen, and I hope you enjoy it as much we, as we enjoy doing it. So have a great new year. Uh, wish you all the best for that. And uh, remember one thing forever. Never, never forget this. It's great being a blue. <laughs>